What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly. The One Shining podcast tour with Titus and Tate officially kicks off next week on Friday, November 2nd. Chicago sold out, but there's still a handful of tickets left in Columbus, Ohio, Louisville, Kentucky, and Bloomington, Indiana. You can find links to buy tickets at theringer.com slash one-shining-podcast. David, Politico reports that Donald Trump's schedule has up to nine hours of quote-unquote executive time. (laughs) A euphemism, Politico says, for the unstructured time Trump spends tweeting, phoning friends, and watching television. What I want to know is, if you had that kind of cushy job, what would you do with your executive time? I was getting really nervous when you said that euphemism. I think if if it, like... It, any male that I know, if you said like seven, nine hours of time to himself was a euphemism for something, I, I think it would have been a little bit more uh, more blue than the answer you just gave. Listen, I, I don't know. If I was actually an executive, I would like to think I would be spending some of that time coming up with a better, uh, better euphemism for what I was doing with my time. <laughs> uh, just some sort of stories. For, I mean, at least like at least put it out there that I'm just some sort of like dreamer who has to sit alone and look at the sky to come up with my big ideas. Yeah, it's, uh, you could almost say the real crime here is just a bad title, right? Brainstorming would be fantastic. Sure, or just like there's a million. You break it up into different chunks. You know, I mean, like he 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 works with his family. Like they can cover for him and just saying he's having meetings or something. You know, this is this is a sort of like misdirection <laughs> that I would actually totally abet here. I mean, abide by. Um, you know, I get to, I get into this conversation sometimes with like my fiance. It's like if we got like rich, they just had the big Powerball last week. You know, there's some people in life who will work no matter what their financial situation is. Um, and there's some people who, if you get a certain level of rich, you'll just like, you know, chill out on the couch and watch TV all day. I think most people are somewhere in the middle, but like I, I could, I could spend a lot of executive time just watching reality television. Yeah. Like I I don't, I don't need, I don't need that much purpose in my life. I gotta be totally honest. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, just a side note. Can you imagine if Trump had won mega millions? That what what kind of what kind of crisis for the executive branch would that have created? Do you think if some if the winner of Mega Millions were just a diehard lefty who was already already uh, you know had money of their own and just said I will give this all to you, President Trump, to step down? Do you think he would have done it, David? I'm not falling for your George Soros conspiracy <laughs> theories. Don't try to what is this Fox News? You could call this podcast excruciating time. This is the press box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. The Press Box is the media podcast where you're not allowed to learn about 19th century racial history live on your own daytime talk show. We are Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker of The Ringer. Big show today, David, and and our apologies for taking last week off. We we had our own executive time going on. Mm -hmm. First, we shall talk about the explosive device sent to CNN headquarters last week and the shooting at a Pittsburgh synagogue and the battle about, listen uh, through your iPhone for the giant air quotes, civility. Second, we'll talk about the festering controversies involving legendary New York sports radio host Mike Francesa. They are very weird. And finally, Megyn Kelly said something racist on her NBC talk show. And soon, Megyn Kelly will not have an NBC talk show or even a job at NBC News at all. Some deep thoughts on Kelly and the Halloween costume horrors. Plus, as always, the overworked Twitter joke of the week. But David, I want to start this week by listening to a snippet, not from media, but from the Florida gubernatorial debate. Because I think a politician has crystallized an idea that a lot of us in media, ourselves certainly included, have been trying to crystallize without much success 
Let's listen to Democrat and likely next governor of Florida, Andrew Gillum, talking about his opponent, former Congressman Ron DeSantis. Mr. Gillum, I'll give you a chance to respond now. Well, let me first say, my grandmother used to say a hit dog will holler. Uh, and it hollered uh, through this room. Mr. DeSantis has spoken. Uh, hey, first of all, he's got neo-Nazis helping him out in the state. Uh, he has spoken at racist conferences. He's accepted a contribution and would not return it from someone who referred to the former president of the United States as a Muslim N-I-G-G-E-R. Uh, when asked to return that money, he said no. He's using that money to now fund negative ads. Now, I'm not calling Mr. DeSantis a racist. I'm simply saying the racists believe he's a racist. <laughs> Here's why it's so interesting, David. When Cesar Sayoc allegedly sends a bomb to CNN headquarters in New York, the media immediately tries to tie that act, at least indirectly, to incendiary things that Donald Trump has said. Fair enough, right? And then mm -hmm. it comes back from the White House, how dare you? We, we never said attack CNN, blah, 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 blah. How dare you try to pin this tragedy on the president? But here, I think Gillum, rhetorically anyway, has sort of crystallized something, which is that while Trump does not say physically to attack CNN, there are lots of people who listen to Trump call CNN the quote unquote enemy of the American people and may think he is saying that. So the people who are want to attack the media think Trump is encouraging them to attack the media. Mm -hmm. And that should be a standard, maybe not the only standard, but at least a standard by which Trump's rhetoric is measured. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that we have to I mean, this, it's it's sort of bizarre to, you know, just segue into other terroristic domestic incidents of domestic terrorism. But to me, it it, it is closely aligned with the with the um, the Pittsburgh um murder spree um in the synagogue earlier this week uh, or, or over the weekend sorry um just in the fact that i mean i i know this seems overly reductive but there's just there's like certain forms of there's there's certain parts of uh you know th certain certain types of communication like like the very racist kinds that are were not part of not considered part of play discourse not very long ago yep. you know i mean there was sort of a glory glory period between the part where like there were a whole bunch of racists in america and there still are but where people would openly talk that way. And then now where I don't know if it's this simple, but it always just seemed to me that like, I'm sure that I grew up around racist people and I'm sure they had just been, they had just been compelled by societal forces in the early parts of their lives, not to say the stuff out loud, or at least not in front of me and the polite company that I was a part of. Um, and that there's something about just the, the, you know, the wonderful part about the internet is that like, you know, loners and, and geeks and people who think that there's no one else like them in the world can turn on the computer and find out that there's millions of other people like them in the world where, like, the racists are finding out the same thing. You know, I mean, there's the the, the other side of that coin. And, the, and that the things that you were discouraged from saying or from thinking, now there are parts of the Internet where that seems like, where it seems like, it, where, it, where not where it seems like, where it is, uh, you know, just going discourse, you know, and, yep. and, it, and it makes the whole thing feel a lot more normal. And... I think that the that the that the the Pittsburgh um, shooting is in some ways a little bit more crystal clear to me because there was a lot of it fell back on Gab, the social platform um, that the shooter posted on, and and there's a lot of reasons why you can't blame a you know I, I agree with the, the 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 philosophy that you shouldn't blame a certain website or, or a periodical or whatever else for for inciting that, but. You know, I don't know. I mean, most people listening to this probably haven't spent a lot of time on Gab, but it's the sort of place where, like, you know, 
even a even a, a right leaning young reactionary person could go and very quickly say, there's nobody here but the racists. You know, I mean, like, I don't I don't want to spend any time there because it's too crazy. But if you go there because, you know, you got kicked off Twitter and that's the fallback, then there's a lot of people there who are shit posting. And I use that term deliberately, a very anti-Semitic stuff. There's people who might not believe it, but there's people who say it, you know, very, very casually and very freely. And it would lead a person who is already ingrained in this sort of anti-Semitism to think that the world is sort of waiting for the, him to make his move, to have his moment or whatever. And, right. And, and, and all a, of this is a long way to say, yeah, that you that that you can have a very direct influence on somebody without meaning to have an influence on them. And that doesn't make you part of the conspiracy, but it makes you part of the problem. I think that's a really good way to put it. And I would just add to the world is waiting for you to quote unquote do something about it is also that you have the sense that a crisis has finally come to a head, right? Yeah. As we've seen in some of these Soros, you know, conspiracy theories that, you know, that the, what is it? The Soros occupied state department was the, uh, was the quote that was used on Fox business. Oh my gosh. That was, I mean, that's, that was one of the, uh, for that to pop up this morning, as we record this on a Monday, like the most, I don't know how there's still room to be outraged, but Jesus, Lou Dobbs, I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, in the case of the media, right. From Trump, it's that the media has caused this crisis that we're in, right. The reason our, our nation is so ripped apart is because the media in, in the other ones, it's the state department is quote unquote occupied. The caravan, the migrant caravan is arriving any minute. Right. And mm-hmm. this was a, this just shocking. This the post from Robert Bowers, the suspect in the synagogue shooting on Gab, which you mentioned, was I can't sit by and watch my people get slaughtered. Uh, and that is a by mythical immigrant invaders he's talking about. And then he continues, "Screw your optics, I'm going in." And that was just minutes before the death and mayhem in Pittsburgh. Let's back up to a little bit because that pipe yeah. bomb, or the, excuse me, the mail bomb moment last week was truly remarkable. Uh, in real time. And we had bombs that were sent to Barack Obama, that to the Clintons, to Soros, to Robert De Niro, many people who had spoken out about Trump or had in fact been cast as enemies by Trump himself. Yes. And then last Wednesday in Manhattan, CNN anchors Jim Shudo and Poppy Harlow were on the air when a fire alarm was activated inside the building. Let's listen to that. We're going to jump in. There's, There's a, fire a fire alarm, alarm here. here. You might have heard it in the background. We're going to find out what the latest is uh, we'll here right at CNN. We're going to be right back. CNN. And then after that, Shudo and Harlow actually went down to the street outside the Time Warner Center and fairly remarkably started reporting with a phone at their ears. Here's a little snippet of that. Police, again, we want to respect this because the police are doing their job. We tried to move a little closer to get a better look, but they'd asked us to move up to the corner, uh, you know, a full, almost a block away from the entrance. And you can hear behind us, Wolf, this is another police emergency squad unit arriving. I've seen now ambulance is arriving. We're not aware of any injuries. We haven't been told of any injuries, although the police did confirm to me uh, that the package, uh, the suspected explosive device, did get inside the building uh, of CNN. But again, just to show the level of concern, they are moving us well down the street from the entrance to the building. Uh, And here you have, they're, they're now moving us. That was on Wednesday. Trump read a general statement at the White House that day, but then that night he went to a rally in Wisconsin, right? He did not he did not curtail his midterm stumping schedule at all. And there Trump delivered what might be described as a subtweet against Democrats in the media. Again, this is the day this package has arrived at CNN. Let's listen to Trump on the stump in Wisconsin. We should not mob people. 
in public spaces or destroy public property. There is one way to settle our disagreements. It's called peacefully at the ballot box. That's what we want. That's what we want. As part of a larger national effort to bridge our divides and bring people together, the media also has a responsibility to set a civil tone and to stop the endless hostility and constant negative and oftentimes false attacks and stories. Have to do it. To this morning, Monday, he was again tweeting about the fake news media. And uh, I would like to associate ourselves with this tweet from Maggie Haberman. This isn't a lack of understanding of the impact of these words. This is a strategy. Describing it as he doesn't get it is the form is a form of grading on a curve. So, I mean, <laughs> to back up to what we just talked about a second ago, he wants people to think this. He's not he he he's not misspeaking here. Right? He knows he knows the effects of these words. He has now seen possibly an extreme impact, uh, an extreme outlier impact, which is that somebody literally sends a bomb to CNN. But he's sticking with it. He's he he's not he's not backing down on media as the enemy of people. This is like got to win midterms, got to save the Senate and keep the margin down in the House, and I'm doubling down, and. This is where we are at this moment here in America. Yeah, I mean, this is this is all so hard to discuss and even harder to get a handle on. But it's not that he doesn't get it. You're right. But there there are things that he doesn't get. I mean, there that he doesn't process in the way that we compare him to previous presidents, and it sort of seems like a lost cause. But for him, just for it to not not occur to President Trump that like being whatever the cliche version of presidential right now is and it would be an incredible benefit to his presidency right to the midterms you know i mean that's why a lot of people think george w bush won re-election was in a similar situation you yeah. know and, and by the way that's puzzling to me because it seems like there's a kind of if you observe the 24-hour act presidential rule where mm-hmm. you're just like this is this is awful I condemn this, you know, you go hold some hands, you go do, you know, make some ceremonial act. Even if you don't mean it, there's a lot of media upside there for you. We see, yeah. remember, remember the, this is the day Trump became president stuff. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do that. He consciously doesn't do that. He doesn't want to do it. Nobody no, I can mean, convince I, him to do it. I don't know what it is. Well, uh, I mean, I think obviously there's a lot of just sort of unwillingness to admit defeat and, and, and that's a it's a you know a defeat is is something that he perceives himself you know as opposed to you know it's all it's all presumptive what someone else might say it might accuse him of but um and that's not necessarily a bad thing in the sense that you know this is the personality that's gotten him this far in life and in politics um yeah Why so if change? we're talking just from yeah but just from a political perspective uh, but it, but i guess i guess what 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 is always shocking to me you know i i remember saying half seriously after he was elected that like his supporters are such diehards that he could really just go and he could run, he could have a Clintonian presidency as far as like he could he could pa- he could pass the same laws that Hillary would have passed or that Bill Clinton did pass in his time and have a hundred percent Republican approval rating and probably you know be very popular amongst liberals despite being you know at that point a sort of caricature of the devil in flesh but 
Um, but that wasn't his, that he decided not to do that, right? I mean, his, he decided the most important part of his govern, governing philosophy would be whatever the opposite of President Obama it was, was is what his, he's going to do. Right, drive people nuts, you know. And policy-wise, he's just, he cares about so little, but he, instead of letting that, instead of having that be a, allowing that, you know, the country to unify, you know, to, find, to actually find common ground, to push, to push policies that everyone can sort of get behind. He just, you know, went as far right as he could go in a lot of ways. I mean, certainly there are def- there are ways in which he's a huge outlier to the to the institutional Republican Party. But, but it's the same. It, go ahead. I just want to read this tweet from Reasons Matt Welch because it gets it actually gets that idea. He says anti media slash elite animus is arguably the ideological glue that holds together contemporary conservatism. This was true before Donald Trump, and he exploited it far more aggressively and crudely than his competitors. There's no mm. way he's not always going to act this way. And and when you talk about him being an outlier, it's, you know, th- th- it's true. Anti-media sentiment, just generalized, you know, open up the fire hose. It, it doesn't matter what you're really, you know, trying to get. Anti-media sentiment is this huge factor among conservatives. And he sensed that. And he has now taken that to this crazy degree. But, you know, this is, like I said, this is arguably one of the biggest issues in the midterms, other than his lie that he's protect he's trying to protect pre-existing conditions. And second lie that he's trying to <laughs> cut taxes for the middle class, a 10% tax cut that's going to get done somehow in the next week. This is arguably his biggest issue. Our democratic mobs or the migrant caravan, right? It's in the top three. Yeah. And I just, it's just, again, as we sit here as media members, but it is so strange that that has become the, unif- that has become the number one policy idea in America is that the media is the enemy of the American people. Well, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders came out today and had her first, you know, open press conference in a month almost. And and her first, I think her opening salvo was saying, was how offended she was that CNN, CNN's, what her, that, as she put it, I'm going to get the wording wrong, but the first... Their first reaction to the pipe bombs was to attack the president or accuse the president of complicity or whatever else. Uh, whereas the president's the first very first thing he did was to condemn the bombing. Now, there's a little bit of chicken and egging here. I'm not sure if it really matters if it really matters what the first thing Trump said as opposed to the immediate second and third things he said were. And also what she was referencing, I think, was a memo was some sort of statement from Jeff Zucker, which was certainly not CNN's first comment first institutional comment on the bombings. I mean, they had no. presumably been on the air for hours and hours and hours before that statement came out. Um, so if he just, if but CNN had just waited to attack Trump till that night, by, which is, which was with the Trump's own standard, that was, that would have worked. Right. Cause yeah, Trump and, that night was attacking the media again. So if CNN just would, waited till like would you, Cuomo live or whatever the show's called yeah. came on, that would have been fine. Yeah. I mean, what would you expect? I mean, someone to have the doctor have an opinion on that. I mean, of course he would. This is his, these are his, this is, these are his coworkers, Somebody you know. Sent a this is bomb it. to his workplace. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, but but it's all but but it is sort of like I don't know. I mean, we can save you know the the grand unifying theory of Sarah, Sarah Huckabee Sanders for another day. But for her to come out and like shed a tear, but to like act, be actively be engaging in this in this you know calculated political response that. That there have been bombs sent all over the country. I mean, to, to notable critics of the president, mostly Democrats, and so we are going to turn this into a media honesty issue. Yeah, you know, we're going to like turn important. this around on anybody on 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 the media, which is just 
But like, I think that, again, that indicates what I said. I think that's how potent an issue they think and what kind of priority they're placing on enemy of the American people as their big issue. I want to get into one thing before we leave this topic, which is this weird rash of false flag uh, kind of theorizing we had immediately before the bombing suspect mm-hmm. was arrested. Um, and then also some some greater conspiracy theories we've seen on television. Frank Gaffney, who is known as what Wikipedia terms a counter-jihad conspiracy theorist, mm-hmm. uh, said in his tweet, none of the leftists ostensibly targeted for pipe bombs were actually at serious risk since security details would be screening their mail. So let's determine not only who is responsible for these bombs, but whether they were trying to deflect attention from the left's mobs. Um, David, would you like to guess the bland-sounding Washington organization that Gaffney works for? Oh, gosh. Please, just tell me. The Center for Security Policy and the host, and he's also the host of Secure Freedom Radio. Is it me or is it always weird that the people who don't mince words then purposely pick the bland and official-sounding group to found? Right? It's never, oh. the, it's never the Center for Kicking Ass in the Middle East. It's the Center oh, for no, Security Policy. But why? What? that's the moment where they hold back? Like these, these are people who are constantly and rightfully getting in trouble for what they say. But when they name the organization, that's like, oh, listen, we got we just need something that looks good on the business card here. We we can't we can't. I don't I don't want anything that would offend anybody. No, um, you guys, it's it's that it's that it's the it's the sheen of respectability. It's like if you can't get hired by a, by an actual like respectable organization, just make one up yourself. It was like Rand Paul's fake dentist organization, where he had <laughs> never. Well, that's another example. <laughs> the other one was uh, CNN's Oliver Darcy declares in a new column: the Fox Business Network has a Lou Dobbs problem, which is uh, can be treated with an over-the-counter ointment. I think, uh, if my medical expertise <laughs> is correct, Dobbs was talking about the migrant caravan, which we're going to cover in another segment on another show with Chris Farrell, a board member of another bland-sounding organization, Judicial Watch. And Farrell very, said this. It's a very influential, a like, very influential, normal-sounding right-wing if, organization. Yeah. If bland, yes. And here is Farrell yeah. talking about the migrant caravan. Look, this is a criminal involvement on the part of these leftist groups. It's a highly organized, very elaborate, sophisticated operation. I have that from the highest levels of the, of the Guatemalan government. They're investigating those groups criminally, and I strongly urge President Trump and Attorney General Sessions to do the same here. A lot of these folks also have affiliates who are getting money from the Soros-occupied State Department, and that is a very great concern. You want to start cutting money, start cutting money there. Where would unstable people get ideas? About about some of this, where could they possibly be getting their ideas about some of the stuff that's going on? Uh, Josh Marshall, uh, writer blogger, said it was quote straight out of the protocols of the elders of Zion. That kind of language. Anything else to say about that before we before we leave well, this topic? Um, I think it is worth mentioning that I th- I mean as the as I read the story, I don't remember where I read it, but but the, that that. Um, that Josh Marshall was actually just flipping channel, trying to see if trying to see if he could get President like catch President Trump's rally on live television when he stumbled across that. And it really is amazing how much of how you know I don't want to use insidious and too inflammatory a way, but like stuff like this just comes across the airwaves and people don't even notice. You know, I mean, yes. this is people. Somebody's watching this, and um and and it's not and there's you know no one's no one's you know there's no Fox Business ombudsman apparently. Um, no, Lou Dobbs is just a, such a weird situation. I mean, a weird character, and, and probably, probably you know, I mean, there's a there's a deeper piece or or segment to, to to spend discussing him someday. But this was not always Lou Dobbs. You know, at some point, he he, I think he probably saw the success of Glenn Beck back in Glenn Beck's heyday, and just like you know, turned on the internet for the first time, and it was all over from there. But the, um, but. You know, this is this. Sh- it's so. It, this this should be. 
I think that he has a sheen of respectability. He lends a sheen of respectability to these absolutely just apeshit conspiracy theories. And this is, I mean, I've, 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 you know, the migrant caravan, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it, this is, it's a great example of, uh, of an argument that's just sort of impossible to refute or to diffuse because no one, because if you're arguing even remotely in good faith on the other side, it seems like you're talking about a totally different subject. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense, but the, but the whole, the, that the whole thing is just is is bonkers. But the but the but and and but specifically to the point of whether or not George Soros or the Soros occupied State Department was is behind the caravan. I mean, it's it's just so much that like I feel like I feel like I'm putting years of my life by saying these words out loud i mean it's it's just absolutely it's it it but and yet this is like in a really important going now now this is a an actually a political concern in 2018 absolutely i'll just leave it at lou dobbs's twitter feed just every tweet is hashtag maga that's just like that's we're just speaking of tw- I, I was looking at judicial watch's twitter feed earlier and i i swear to god i saw f- pictures of hillary like 50 pictures of hillary clinton on their twitter feed <laughs> at least corbis 75 percent of their tweets making money out of this 75 <laughs> yeah, percent of their tweets had hillary clinton photos attached to them i mean if you if you wonder where all this like this continued fascination with her is is coming from i'm looking at their wikipedia page right now and there's separate sections for Vince Foster conspiracy, White House visitor logs, false Nancy Pelosi claims, Operation Neptune Spear, what? Hillary Clinton email lawsuits. This is the good that the Judicial Watch is doing our country. All right. More on Operation Neptune Spear next week here on the Press Box. All right, David. Now it's time for the overworked Twitter joke of the week. Yes. Where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. We're going to play some catch up this week. Melbourne, Australia's very own Brett Collette. Uh, emails to alert us to the fact that every review of First Man, which is the new Neil Armstrong biopic, used a play on the one small step, one giant leap pun. I just feel we should know about this. Uh, my favorite of these, by the way, was Ryan Gosling takes one small step toward age equality. That was from the London Times. I have no idea what that article is about. Thanks to Brett for his vigilance there. David, be honest. Did you watch the World Series? Um, no, I mean, I, I watched, I watched so little of it that I won't even, that, that I, that I can't even, I mean, I, I would not insist that I the press box is about honesty. Thank you. Thank you for your courage on that one. Um, well, then you perhaps heard about a certain theme starting in game one, which was that every move that Dodgers manager Dave Roberts seemed to make turned to shit. And every move that the Red Sox manager Alex Cora made, uh, aside from leaving a starter in too long in game three turned to gold. Well, it was an instantaneous overworked Twitter joke. To say that when Cora got back to his office after game one last Tuesday, he learned that he'd also won the Mega Millions jackpot. See, when you incorporate <laughs> the World Series in the Mega Millions record jackpot, that's called synthesis. Thanks to our pals. I like that. Greg Gottfried and Brent Axe for that one. Also at the World Series, my favorite Control Plus V baseball argument of all time is, when are they going to start the World Series games earlier so the kids can watch them? I mean, <laughs> well, these kids are going to fall out of love with baseball. Game three when a record 18 innings, which translated to seven hours and 20 minutes, finally wrapping up at 3.30 a.m. on the East Coast. And it was an overworked Twitter joke to write, a couple mornings and my kids may finally get to see the end of a World Series game. Thanks to Jeff <laughs> Cornoyer for that one. Actually, actually made that very tired, uh, very tired argument come alive. And then finally, David, did you see the tweet from Southern Living Magazine? Remember Southern Living? Kind of the garden and oh. gun of the 80s? 
Yeah, I I grew up with Southern Living. My mom got every issue of it. I grew up going to doctors that subscribe to Southern Living, I think is the way to put it. Anyway, Southern Living tweet, classic dad move, George W. Bush's epic photo bomb at his daughter Barbara's wedding. All right. Mm -hmm. Seems like like the kind of Southern Living uh, digital strategy. That seems the kind of thing they'd want to show their uh, readers there. It was an overworked Twitter joke to say George W. Bush... Still bombing weddings after all these years. See, it's it's an Iraq War joke. Oh my god! Yeah, and that was oh. it, you know it was a big one. If you refuse to let George W. Bush smile away his legacy of overseas war, congrats, you made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. Thanks to <laughs> the epic for pointing that one out to me. All right, David. Topic number two. This week we had two Mike Francesa controversies. To which the proper response is only two. The first controversy began in a column by New York Post sports media writer Andrew Marchand, who will become a recurring character here. In his column last Monday, Marchand reports, WFAN host Maggie Gray called James Dolan, the Knicks owner, a, quote, vile piece of trash. The Dolan takedown was brought on because Dolan, with his band, released a song called I Should Have Known, perceived to be about producer Harvey Weinstein, who was Dolan's longtime friend. Maggie Gray thought it was hypocritical in light of the garden having been found liable for a hostile work environment with a Nutra Brown Sanders back in 2007. Okay, fair enough, right? After that, Marshawn reports, Dolan prohibited Knicks and Rangers players along with MSG broadcasters from appearing anywhere on WFAN, which is, of course, a station where Mike Francesa occupies the afternoon slot. Mm-hmm. He continues, earlier in, early in his program, Monday, Francesa sided with Dolan. Not his fellow WFAN host criticizing Gray, saying she went, quote, too far and was trying to get notice. Here's some more comments from Francesa as recorded by The Post. Stuff was said on the CMB show, that's Gray's show, which was over the top. What was bad about it was it was personal and from someone who had never met him. So that's always risky. Trying to gain attention pushes other shows to try to get noticed more than they have to. Rather than organically letting the show happen, you say things that are maybe going to get you attention and think that's the way to get ahead. When I when I read this, Isaac, we have we have certainly come to the point in history where the term hot take is only something to accuse other people of giving. Like that yeah. that is its only it's it is no longer a descriptor. It, mm-hmm. You are Mike Francesa of New York Sports Radio. And you're like, you know, that person was just trying to get attention with their with their sports opinion on the previous show. That's what you do. That that's your job. Yeah. Uh, what did you make of that whole business? Oh man, what, what's your hot take? I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to, to to tell. I didn't grow up with Mike Francesa or Mike and the Mad Dog. You and me um, both. So you know, I don't have the same perception of them as a, as a, you know some northeastern the, the northeasterners that we you know socialize with regularly do. But the but it uh, my perception is is that between this and I think, you know, we have another Mike Francesa story that you're about to get into. It does, it sort of seems like, like, you know, the, the, the kind of Mike Francesa hug fest that, that, that we all, the, the everybody in the media took part in upon his retirement is just rebounding really hard right now. And that the perception that the existing perception that he was always soft on people in power, you know, and, and by that, it's, you know, you specifically mean like the rich white men that own the teams um, was sort of like attributed. It was sort of, you, you would hear that discussed in a sort of like the way you talk about, you know, one of your grandfather's foibles or something in the previous in the previous Francesa regime. Um, 
And now it just feels like a real specific slight against him, as it probably should. I like how he's like Grover Cleveland, by the way. There's like a previous regime that's not contiguous (laughs) to this one. It's true. Would any sports radio show in America stand up to the kind of scrutiny that Mike Francesa is getting right now? I mean, isn't part of this, and and this is not to defend Mike Francesa at all, who's capable of defending himself. and, And why would I do that anyway? But isn't part of this the fact that we are like, thanks to the legendary back after this Twitter account, Uh we are seeing every single clip that he does. There's another one up today with him trying to pronounce announcer Matt Veskersen's name, which is getting getting a lot of traction as we got on the air today. One of the the great clips of my lifetime. (laughs) But I just feel like if you just recorded every sports radio show in America and had somebody just pull out the clips, there would be a meltdown. There would be a racial meltdown. There would be this meltdown. It would it would be unbelievable. But he is, as far as I can tell, basically the only show in America that this happens to, that is that people are actually like listening and looking for internet content from. It's kind of a it's kind of amazing. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And I don't have any ill will at all towards Francesca. I think he's just really I mean Listen, him him spending two minutes trying to say Matt Vaskersian and then realizing that he was not trying to say Matt Vaskersian to begin with, that's good <laughs> content. That's good on-air content. I mean, this is a man that goes out and fills up hours of airtime every day, and that's something that I certainly couldn't do. Um, and, 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 he's, and people love him with good reason. Um, you know, I, I think just paying a little bit more, giving a little bit more respect to your coworkers. You know, I mean, you don't have to see yourself as a journalist if you don't want to, if you're sitting behind the microphone every day. But, you know, just sort of like standing in, in, in union with, with the other people on your station. I think it's, it's okay to pay lip service with that and not, and, and at least, you know, just do the bare minimum there, which seemed to sort of escape him. But here's the, here's um, the deal with sports radio. It's like the na- it's the nastiest business in sports media. Oh, oh I, I know. Mean, but the, ni- this, the knives but case are out. I'm oh, dude. But it's I feel it's worse than this. I mean, he he already. He, I mean, listen, that knife already. I mean, he he already. The knife's already bloody. You know. I mean, he 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 took his he took his time slot right back for Maggie Gray and the rest of the crew. So it's not like, um, it's it's not like she should be surprised by it. But it but, you know. I mean, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not said, again, I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. I'm just saying, like, it's like, obviously, she, you're made, right. she, you're, made, no, a, you're, she you're, made a fine point about Dolan, and she shouldn't. She made a fine point. That, that just, I mean, the, the weirdest thing about, about James Dolan is as much, you know, smack talk as he gets, like, she didn't say anything that I hadn't heard a hundred times before, but, it, but, we, but that's weirdly the third rail in sports talk radio is that we don't go after, like, you know, the owners when they make really bad hypocritical songs about the Me Too movement. Um, <laughs> Granted, that's a particular... <laughs> it's not every <laughs> owner a, you can say. That's the line we don't cross? Right. Um, I don't think, I don't no, think I mean, the Red Sox I mean, owners have record, recorded a pop song about Me Too uh, during the World Series. But it, do, it do, I think there's a, you could talk this... You could have this conversation and go in a million different directions for a long time. I do think there's this really interesting tension just sticking to the... You know, kind of stay out of the morality of the situation for a minute is that... Is that a lot of the reaction that I heard when when Dolan said, you know, no more, no none of my employees can go on WFAN. The reaction was either one, WFAN will be better off for this without having to waste time having like you know stilted corporate I- interviews with players and managers and and you know coaches and whatever else. Um, that was w- one half of it, and then, um, and then, and then you know, the other half was that 
like this was a like incredible catastrophe that no one else would ever should ever be able to get away with, you know? So it's like, there's this weird split that like, and I don't know what it says about where we are in sports media right now, but I don't think that the radio particularly needs him. And I also can't imagine how he would have thought this was a good idea. Even like, this isn't even the best version of revenge on Maggie Gray. You know, it just like, it's, it's so self-evidently going to make him look bad. Speaking of Dolan, that I just it like it it makes it it makes it all seem it makes it seem way pettier just for like the silliness of the whole thing. Oh yeah, you know some Rangers I mean, what, some like, Rangers guy can't come on a radio station. Wouldn't it have been more effective just to have a like memo that only your employees saw that like no one's allowed to talk to Maggie Gray and the word gets back to her and just that <laughs> that really bites you know as opposed to just having this like public proclamation that no one's going on this whole right. radio station but if that but if that was the case then the rough score the right move would be to not have them on any of the shows on WFAN which of course wouldn't have happened can we get let me just do the quick version of the second Francesca controversy yeah which again begins with Marchand of the New York Post uh, sports media writer. Yeah. So he appeared on the September 20th. I think I'm getting the timeline correct here. Appeared on the September 20th episode of the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast with Jimmy Traina. Uh, and he was talking about the Mics On app that Francesa is hawking. Let's just listen to what Marshawn said on that podcast. Is Mike really going to get the guest that he wants did? I mean, is the Green Bay Packers coach going to come on like he wants to do at the end show, you know, where they taped it during the week? I, I just can't imagine. If you're the Green Bay Packers PR guy, and um, you know they call you up and they say we'd like to have uh, uh, Mike McCarthy, well, on. I'll put him on the fan. Say, well, what's your listenership? Well, we have, you know, we have uh, 300 people downloaded this app. Um, so he facetiously says 300 downloads, right? Which is not yeah. exactly 300 subscribers. There, it's not a clear statement. And as Marshall would later say, he was not reporting this. He's just sort of talking this out, right? Mm-hmm. Francesa then tweets. Uh, last Wednesday, the little weasel said I didn't have 300 subs, said last night he only knew of one subscriber, but when challenged at 1,000, and here he put in parentheses 1,000, spelled it out, subs, he would get $10,000 in cash for every sub under 1,000. He ran, fraud and liar. And what Francesa was doing was sort of setting up a challenge for Marchand, saying, I will pay you $10,000 in cash for every subscriber I have under a thousand, under ten, under a thousand subscribers, right? under a thousand, yes, under a thousand, right? So if I have nine hundred, you get ten thousand dollars times times one hundred. Here is here is a little bit of Francesca actually making this challenge on the air. It's just like they report things every day, folks. Like a guy like Marshant, who's a little wannabe, who couldn't get a job at FAN, couldn't get a job in our business, so uh, and calls me up, begs me to talk to him, and I won't leaves me messages begging me to talk to my won't, but then tweets about me, according to the guys who checked it out, 42 times in one day. We sit back and laugh at how wrong he is and how much he makes up utter nonsense, just complete fabrications, because I won't talk to him, because he begs me to give him quotes or, I have a big story, can you give me a quote? No, I don't call him back. You know, I never call him back because he's not worthy of anyone talking to. He is an inconsequential little just a, a a little jealous little guy who does nothing except just make up nonsense, complete nonsense. And everyone knows it to be that kind of nonsense. That's why I never address it. He is that poor a reporter, that ineffective and that just, just that awful a reporter. Here's a guy who's been knocking around for years, never been, you know, been a failure his whole life. Every subscriber under 800, 
I will give him $10,000 in cash. I'm giving him a chance, according to him, to make $500,000 in cash, which is about 40 years salary for him. He can stop sitting there, you know, writing a bunch of lies. He, you know, has never been able to get in the business. Like he wanted to be on the radio, can't get a job. So, I mean, this is a guy who can just forget that and can, you know, sit home and not bother anybody because he's going to make more money than he ever dreamed of. Marshan then tried to call Francesa David, and last Thursday, Marshan showed up at the Hudson Street studios of WFAN. He was told by Mark Chernoff, WFAN's vice president, that Francesa was working at his home studio that day. Uh, he writes that it was relayed off the air through Chernoff that Francesa wanted $500,000 in escrow to sit down for an interview with me, like meaning he wanted to put the money that was being wagered, <laughs> the, the wager that Mike proposed, into <laughs> escrow. So that when he would collect it, it would, you know, since once they had the interview or whatever confrontation they were going to have with the lawyers, he would collect the money. I First of all, between Barstool, Skip Bayless, and Mike Francesa, if those guys went away, what would sports media writers have to cover? What would be left? I don't know. Would we be talking about the it's, Booger Mobile all day? Well, Is we, that what we'd we, be left with? Um from the glass house that I'm sitting in right now, I can honestly say it's it's amazing that so much of sports media has now just become meta analysis um, and and just our obsession it? with yeah. Uh, it is first of all, I, I gotta say I love I love Francesa with the he couldn't have gotten a job at, at <laughs> here if he wanted one <laughs> line. It's sort of appropriating the like you know the 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 screed story like or the the angst towards like basement bloggers who wish they were working for NBA teams or NFL teams or whatever but but uh but can't get off the get out of their parents basement um but using that i mean I, that that andrew marchand is just like oh if only i could be a an on air radio personality seems a little bit uh i don't i'm not sure that radio is exactly anyone's dream job in 2018 um yeah, but okay. also and and also this bizarre i mean Mike Francesa's tweet or his tweet about the the thousand subs thing reads like a foreign language. Marshawn was tweeting this whole thing fairly clearly, but you had to know the story to realize what the five hundred thousand dollar and that escrow was even talking about. And there was a whole lot of confusing backstory. That sounds like wrestling, There's by a, the way. Five hundred thousand oh, escrow. It's a, well, that's it. I mean, yeah, it's like the bat. What did Andre the Giant win from Big John Stud and the Body Slam Challenge? Was it ten thousand dollars in, in that duffel bag, or was it fifteen? Yeah. I don't even. I, Whole I should bag know this. full of money. But the important part wasn't the amount of money. It was the moment afterward when Andre was throwing the fives into the crowd, and the crowd was going wild. <laughs> I wish we could get um, that here. To be yeah. honest, uh, and I think that's sort of that's sort of that's what Mike Francesa thinks he's doing by like floating these numbers. But it's but it's all it's all. Uh, it's just all so bizarre that he's talking about a thousand subscribers. I mean, that that would be, I don't know. I don't know. Like what? Unless, unless, unless the answer is like, aha, I have a hundred thousand subscriptions. Then why are you getting into a fight about this? Nobody heard this podcast. I think that's the biggest thing. I think it's, that's the, no offense to Jimmy Trainer, by the way. No, no, no. But I think that's the biggest, that's that, that's sort of, uh, you know, symbolic of, of the shift in media is, when Mike Frances is saying, you know, anybody would want to work at this radio station, anybody would want this job and they can't get it. It's similar. It's the same thing as him hearing a recording of a thing and assuming that everybody or half of everybody heard this recording too. Right. He doesn't realize how much the media landscape has changed and how insignificant a soundbite could be um, that comes upon his radar weeks after it happened. And, um, and I think I, I hopefully, you know, this is, it's just fun grist to talk about on, 
press box and talk about it at the bar with your friends. Um, I mean, honestly, when when Marshan's like follow up piece about this came out the other night, I I saw it. I opened it up on my phone and and read it to my fiance in the in the car and like as like <laughs> we were in like the McDonald's drive through and I was doing like right. interpretive theater because it was just so, it was such great fun. But it's uh, perfect. It's perfect for the New York tabloids. I mean, it this is, is. It like, is, and it's. And, this is and exactly what should be happening, right? Is that a sports columnist is in a showdown with the king of New York sports radio? And that should. Yeah, it's just like that feels exactly right. I mean, it I'm does. Not, I'm, it not, does. I'm not saying. I'm not saying why it's happening and all that stuff, but that just feels like that should be happening pretty much on a daily basis. Yeah, big week for big week for Mike. Let's try topic number three, David. Megan Kelly. Didn't think I'd have much to say about Megan Kelly. But I, I think I do. I think we have stuff to talk about here. Here's the clip that will apparently cost Megyn Kelly her gig at NBC from last week's segment on Halloween costumes. There was a controversy on The Real Housewives of New York with Luann as she dresses Diana Ross and she made her skin look darker than it really is. And people said that that was racist. And I don't know. I felt like who doesn't love Diana Ross? She wants to look like Diana Ross for one day. I, I don't know how like that got racist on Halloween. It's not like it, she's walking around. I, I have not seen it. But you it sounds you a have racist watched it. Me too. And by the way, I haven't seen the other. But if she really wanted to look like Diana Ross, she should have dressed as Michael Jackson. Because they. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier in that segment, David, she referred to the costume police, quote unquote. And as long as we're talking about mythical police forces, do you think the costume police and the PC police work out of the same precinct? Uh, probably the same building, different floors. What about the grammar police? Where where are they? Where are they headquartered? The grammar police have a have, have a uh, like a like an old like a beautiful old brownstone that's totally fallen into ruin somewhere. <laughs> they're they're off on their own. Yeah, Lewis Lapham is like smoking a cigar on the top floor of that one. The <laughs> um, according to the New York Times, uh, John Koblen and Michael Grinbaum Kelly sent an apologetic email uh, to her coworkers. Later, Al Roker slammed her on the Today Show. Did you ever think you would hear those words from anybody? No. Um, then she started, then it became pretty clear. They put reruns on for the rest of the week that Kelly was not going to, uh, be back. The show was not going to be back on NBC and Kelly herself was not going to be back on NBC. I, I want a couple of things here. It has become sort of like conventional wisdom that Kelly was just a really bad fit for morning TV. This is kind of mm-hmm. what you're reading, right? Morning TV is an art form and, and it requires a special skill set. And Megan Kelly is, was not right for it. I agree with that to a point. But listen to how she starts off the Halloween costume segment with the sort of perfect faux outrage of morning TV. Here it is. Television host Melissa Rippers is here. Nice to see everyone. Nice to see everyone. Nice to see everyone. Great to have you. So this is, this is a different kind of fashion policing, Melissa. Um, Halloween is next week, as you know, right? I mean, this year, the costume police are cracking down like never before. Take a look at what some now say is an offensive costume. You you may no longer what? dress as a cowboy. That's that's now offensive. Okay, the student union at Kent University in the UK is pushing to ban this along with several other costumes saying they cause offense that they're inappropriate. Um, and it goes on to sort of list the things that you you're, you're not allowed to dress like Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> okay, but let's be honest. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Like, yeah. what, what seriously, like, come on. No, thank you. Now, so she starts out with this kind of generalized outrage. She could have gone so many directions there and sort of won the segment. She could have. Yeah. She could have done the. 
you know, why are all these cheapo costume s- sellers peddling the slutty nurse outfits in the age of Me Too, right? Don't our children deserve better? That would have been mm-hmm. a winning segment on morning television. She could have done the whole, you know, what? when did Halloween get all political? What happened to dressing up as a ghost or a goblin? Right. I think Just, if you follow her argument to the end, she would have been pro slutty nurse, though. I mean, that's this is it's you should be. This is the comp- <laughs> she she's the comp- she's a Halloween libertarian. I mean, anything should be anything goes on our uh, creepiest of holidays. I think. Yeah, it was just a particular. I mean, it had to get to hey, what's so bad about blackface? For her to just completely like she, generalized outrage kind of works. I think on morning television, right? That mm-hmm. is the view. You know, that is the totally the, the chew or or whatever the other things are. But that I just. The other thing that was striking me about this was it was a Fox News segment. Did you did you hear what university this is? The University of Kent mm-hmm. in in the UK. Yeah, like Megyn Kelly's right to wear a costume has been impinged upon by a student union of a British university. Like that's the ultimate Fox thing, right? Where it's like something I read on the Drudge Report. And by the way, I looked up a piece on HuffPo about the actual costumes that the student union at the University of Kent was was banning. You ready for this? Here, uh-huh. tell me some of the tell me some of these that are the ISIS soldiers, the Prophet Muhammad, Native Americans, Nazis, anything to do with the Crusades, accused sex offender Jimmy Seville. <laughs> I mean, like oh everything is just everything listed there besides cowboy. Is a pretty much no brainer. Like, yeah, no, that's not a good idea, right? It's a, let's let's not have that on campus. By yes. the way, the, it was also a list, uh, according to HuffPo, of acceptable costumes. Dave, which you'll want to know, includes cartoon characters, letters of the alphabet, aliens, cavemen, ancient Greeks and Romans, doctors and nurses. So that's uh, that's okay at the University of Kent. But I would just like to associate ourselves with Tom Clutz, <laughs> Tom Clut of CNN. His tweet he said it's fitting that Megyn Kelly's final act at NBC was a segment in which she defended blackface Halloween costumes and pushed back against political correctness. That would have worked just fine on Fox, where she thrived, but her skill set was never suited for network morning TV. Yeah. Um, I think this is this maybe is a very small point, but to me, I you know formally aligned myself with Al Roker in this in this debate and I think honestly a lot of the a lot of the um almost every statement that came out against Megyn Kelly I thought was was incredibly I mean and it, you know and especially those that came from NBC uh the various quarters of NBC um were incredibly smart and 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 really appropriate um but I think the really small point that 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 was the first thing that jumped out at me was the felicity with which that the turn that you were just talking about happened. That it was just it was a man. Isn't this crazy? How PC, you know, our our Halloween costume. How people are 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 you know litigating our what costumes we can wear on Halloween, and how it just in the snap of a finger went to and why can't i wear blackface again yeah oh exactly like that's that, just naturally that, where the mind went yeah and i think that that more more so than the actual like offensiveness of any certain line or whatever else i mean listen megan kelly is making a whole lot of money from nbc news if she wants if, if she if she wants to dedicate an hour of you know news programming to investigate why you know why Billy Crystal could never wear the same Sammy Davis Jr. costume he used to on <laughs> SNL in 2018. I'm sure that there would be some outlet for her to do that investigation. 
You know, I mean, if the, if that's the if that's the if that's what she's deeply interested in, and 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 that's the kind of intellectual pursuit that she wants, you know, to 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 build her career on, um, she could probably she could probably you know get some get a time slot to do that. But the fact that she just so quickly went from like look at these silly rules to and why can't I mean seriously and and the the craziest thing is just to call it blackface like <laughs> the, the the to be so to have so little self awareness that that you are associating yourself with the reason why this is inappropriate but not but not actually be a, even a little bit interested interested in why in in what the what the issue what the core issue might be there it's just sort of mind boggling yeah, I was trying to think of places, uh, vehicles where Megyn Kelly could have her launcher investigation about Billy Crystal. <laughs> Brian Williams canceled primetime news magazine Rock Center uh, was the first oh, thing that I came like to that mind. Yeah. You know, we can really dig mm-hmm. in on this issue. Yeah, it was. Um, it's no surprise that she's gone from the network. Also, to your point about just the idea that you then the next day she had was it Roland Martin, someone else I can't remember who else was on teaching her the history. Uh, the painful legacy of blackface, you know, in entertainers and used by use on television, the movies and 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 live shows and things like that. It's just so strange that your whole idea is that your gravitas is somehow derived from you knowing stuff, and then you yeah. have to be taught on your own show the history of stuff. Yeah, I mean that is just. I think that happened with Imus too when he had his meltdown. It's just got to be one of the weirdest. Just one of the weirdest things on television. Um, I wonder. There's to, something. Go ahead. But there's something so I don't mean to interrupt you, but there's something. I mean, obviously, just so performative about that. I mean, oh. which is the the very point that you're making. Um, we should probably have a word for for white people uh, acting like they're learning a new thing in front of America for you know for all of America to bear witness to. Yeah. Um, and also, I just I mean, as far as just the you know the 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 new the new normal for the cycle and all this stuff is the is the um, immediate vacation that was that was <laughs> retroactively always the plan yeah. you know like oh we like she had jury duty this whole time which is like just exactly it didn't that sound exactly like what happened to Bill O'Reilly before he was disappeared totally and, and, I mean it's just it, I, I love that I love that but go ahead with what you're I'm guess. putting a lot of effort in my Halloween costume this year and we just want to have a couple of extra days I just uh, found one tweet since you and I are fans of um, both infamy and uh, books I found a tweet by the writer John Lingan, who I love, and he predicted the title of Megyn Kelly's post-NBC book. Would you like to take a stab at what will the uh, Megyn Kelly regnery book publishing event be titled that in which she will explain her side of this whole story? Oh, man. Oh, man. I feel like, I feel like it's right on the tip of my tongue. Um, this is what Lingan okay. went. This will get you started. Okay, I, wait. Can I? I'm, I have one guess. Okay, uh, this is gonna. This is too vague. I was gonna. Is it something about like? Is is it is it is gone tomorrow? The pro is, is that in there somewhere? <laughs> that was good. He went. Yeah. He went with defaced, finding uh, strength after PC persecution. Uh, Simon and Schuster, hundred thousand first printing national author tour. Yeah, so that's um, that will be coming up from the Megyn Kelly thing. And by the way, kind of the most, you already see where this take, this was in some of the pieces, but it was, Mm -hmm. this was in, in fact, I think the Copeland Grimmon piece I read from earlier, she alienated Today Show colleagues with her coverage of in-house harassment scandals involving Matt Lauer and Tom Brokaw, according to two people with knowledge. That is absolutely going to be the Megyn Kelly line, right? I stepped Mm -hmm. on, I was trying to, like Ronan Farrow, I was trying to step up and expose what's going on in here. And there was that bizarre thing that she wanted. Did you see that? It was in page six that she wanted Ronan Farrow present 
uh, yeah. in her meeting with the lawyers? Like, yeah, is it like I mean, a it's, witness? it's, I mean, it's just a perfect example of how she's just like, like, it's just a hyper fixation, you know? I mean, like, they're, why, like, like, compare that to like any other day on Megyn Kelly today and just ask, like, why, 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 why so much more intensity on that subject? <laughs> um, Someone said, I don't know if someone wrote this. I believe this is this is uh, this is something someone said to me, but that the um, or it might have been on Twitter that the, the you know, NBC's most brilliant move was not to fire her over Matt Lauer or over Ronan Farrow, but just to wait for her to do something racist. And uh, I and I think that <laughs> I don't I don't know that I completely like uh, I mean, I don't know that I believe that to be true at all. But if there was any lingering anxiety over those things, um and, they, and there were reports that she had previously talked to the heads of NBC about transitioning to another another time of the day, another yes. show format, whatever else, that she would be on that sort of thin ice. I don't know if thin ice is how she would describe it, but in that stage of her career and to not be more careful or to be maybe she thought she was being careful. And this is still where she ended up. It, it was it's 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 pretty incredible. I think she just naturally went there. I think that's where her mind goes. All right, David, that's the press box for this week. Chris Almeida helps us with research. Our ace producer is Jim Cunningham. More hot takes on the media next week, we promise, this time. See you then, David. See you later, man. David, what would you do with your nine hours of quote-unquote executive time? Oh, man. I feel like I feel like it's right on the tip of my tongue. David, be honest. Um, formally aligned myself with Al Roker. <laughs>